Episode 35, I am your host, Eddie Shepard, along with... The second place finishing in Travis tra- uh, Trivia Travis Plaster. Let's go. Second place, not first. Yeah, with my Zoa Energy ener- energy drink. Got to support the rock now that Black Adam sucked ass. Um, really quick, Travis, before we roll into this episode, um, this past week's episode, the episode with Adam Cole and Matt Riddle... This is the most we've ever had videos copyright stricken on uh, Facebook. Yeah, because it's all all new shit, I guess. They're like so anal about, but heck, it's four years old at this point. Like hell, Adam Cole's in AW. What the hell does it matter at this point? Yeah, I don't really understand. I mean, every, like almost every single thing I posted, except for us doing the watch, the actual watch along, was flagged and caught by WWE. So. He- you know what they should flag? His cock video, where he's out there just fucking twirling it like a helicopter. Still haven't seen Still it, haven't so seen I have it, no reference. But, <laughs> no reference. But, I, I've, but I've, I heard I've, things. I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors. I've heard things. I, I, I heard our friend Scott looked at it like six times, just 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 for research purposes. Love you, I Scott. I the same. He was like, I saw Riddle's dick. I was like, you did? He goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You can really say that. I'm being it's a, Once apparently, it's in a bathroom, like a public bathroom. It's so fucking weird. That's more than I, than I know. That's more information than I have. Yeah, that's all I got. That's, that's the end of it. I don't know anything else. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> shout out to Scott though. Getting this, getting this, getting to watch some helicopter and dick. That's on him though. Travis, this week's episode. Let's not submarine this fucker too fast. Uh, the first ever, I think it's the only triple A match we have on our podcast. Uh, it's the pair of terror, La Para del Terror of Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero taking on El Hijo del Santo and Octagon from when worlds collide in November of 94. Not, not gonna lie here, I'm not the hugest connoisseur of triple A or CMLL or MLL, whatever how they say it. So, hopefully. Through this podcast, we'll give us some suggestions for things to watch in AAA or CMLL. Because, I mean, I, we're from America. We're, we're, we've got American wrestling. I mean, UK wrestling, Japan. Like, I'm sorry, but the Lucha Libre is not a huge, wasn't a huge thing except for what we saw in WCW and what WWF tried to do. So, like, it's kind of kind of foreign territory for us but this is this is a great match and it's a a welcome addition to the pod and it kind of helps broaden our horizons a little bit yeah so my first kind of take on uh lucha libre wrestling is from wcw wcw and the cruiserweight division capitalized on that for me uh if you go back to the earlier days of wcw i mean they had mil mascaris uh, kind of pop up on there um, on some of those early Clash of the Champions, but still really wasn't a whole lot of Lucha like no Lucha Door wrestling. No yobs. No yobs. No yobs. 
uh, going back was it with him and Cactus Jack. So uh, this is a definitely it's something a little bit different. The the Mexican style is a little different. Uh, seeing like Corona plastered on the ring, it's really just mm-hmm. different, and it's still like that well, to this day. Well, even the rules to this two out of three falls match is, is something I had never seen before except in this match because it's probably the only match I've watched like this. So um, it, they have different rules for different things. I remember on WCW, they have the Lucha Libre rules. So if somebody went out of the ring, somebody else could come in the ring. They didn't have to tag. So the rules are very different from the American style or even the UK style of wrestling. Yeah, the concept of this is is really cool. This is kind of the culmination to this big storyline. We're going to kind of roll right on into it. So I want to start with, you know, kind of one of the best wrestlers of all time, Eddie Guerrero. Eduardo Guerrero was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. He graduated from high school in 1985, where then he would then move to Mexico to train to be a professional wrestler. He followed in the footsteps of his brothers and father, who had also wrestled in Mexico. As a boy, he would attend the wrestling promotions held by his father, Gory Guerrero, at the El Paso County Coliseum. Guerrero's father allowed him and his nephew, Chavo, Chavo Guerrero, to wrestle each other during intermissions. Guerrero debuted officially in 1986. In 1989, he would appear with WCW as a jobber. I didn't really know this, but most notably, and you sent me a clip of this today, wrestling Terry Funk. Yep. I I didn't really know that either until I downloaded like a pack to get this match uh, in better quality than YouTube has. And one of the first matches on there was Eddie Guerrero versus Terry Funk. And I may have seen it in passing, you know, back in the day, but uh, I re-downloaded it so I could watch it because I was like, ah, this is not ring a bell to me, but this is full-blown heel Terry Funk, 89 Terry Funk. So uh, he makes the he makes the announcer re-announce him after he's taken his chaps off, which I thought was classic heel. Eddie wrestled as the original uh, Mascara Magica in CMLL until his departure in 1992. He then left the company to pursue a career with Triple A. Although the Mascara Magica, I'm probably Magica, I'm probably, you know, butchering this, I apologize. Uh, However, that gimmick was popular. CMLL owned the rights to that character. Guerrero then appeared on on a televised Triple A show as Mascara Magica, only to then unmask himself. Around the same time in 1992, Eddie began wrestling in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Do you know what gimmick he was? It's Black Tiger, because that's another match I got in that pack. It's him versus uh, Liger in the 96 uh, Super Jacob, which I have to watch to see if it's worthy of the list. He is the second version of Black Tiger. I'm not sure how many versions there are. I know TJP played a later version of Black, of, uh, Black Tiger as well. I know. I know how you feel. I also feel the same way. Not a fan. (laughs) In Mexico, Guerrero wrestled mainly for AAA, teaming with El Hijo del Santo as the new version of La Parera Mm -hmm. Atomica, the atomic pair, uh, which was the original team, was his father, Gory Guerrero, and El Santo's father, El Santo. El Santo was Mm -hmm. a Mexican movie star. We'll kind of talk about that more uh, as we as we dive on deep with the feud between these guys. Uh, so on to He's Eddie's partner. Brother. Oh, he is over. Eddie's partner, Art Bar. 
Arthur Barr was born on October 8th, 1966. His father, Sandy, was also involved in wrestling as a wrestler, referee, and promoter, along with his brother, Jesse Barr. Do you know who Jesse Barr was? I do not. Because I didn't know this. Jimmy Jack Funk is Art Barr's brother. <laughs> Jimmy Jack Funk. I had no idea. One, one the, long, the Long Ranger mask and all that cool stuff. If I'm, yeah. if I'm not fooled, he was pretty jacked, though. Yeah, he was pretty jacked. And like, he was the biggest funk brother, and he wasn't even a funk brother. So, brother. He looked like a funker. So, I get it. I get it. While growing up, Barr became friends with Roddy Roddy Piper during Piper's stint in the Oregon Pacific Northwest Wrestling Territory. While attending Oregon State University, Barr became an accomplished amateur wrestler, having become a four-time district champion and a two-time state champion. After leaving college, Barr began re- uh, working in a steel mill during the day while he began receiving training to become a professional wrestler from his father, Sandy, his brother, Jesse, and Matt Osborne. Doink. You're right. You're right. He Brother. He's he's a bigger name. The more we do wrestling research, and more I do just research in general, you know, digging into the past. Um, Matt Osborne, he uh, he was a pretty good hand. Yeah, he was uh, he was kind of all over the place. I mean, was it uh, I don't know, uh, Big Josh? He was Big Josh. He was Doink. He was in ECW, WCW, WWF. I mean, like mid. He's in mid south, so like he was all over the place. Could wrestle any style, could wrestle anybody. I mean, not not his fault. He got slammed with Big Josh and WCW with the Bears and the stupid axe handle gimmick. Gimmicks, brother. Gimmicks, brother. It's a real occupation. Lumberjack. Pussies. In April of 87, (laughs) Barr made his in-ring debut. About a year and a half later, at the suggestion of Roddy Piper, he began wrestling as Beetlejuice, based on the character of the 1988 movie. The character wearing face paint and flower in his hair was a cartoonish fan favorite. In 1990, a tape of Barr as Beetlejuice was sent to the offices of WCW president Jim Hurd. But he was eating pizza. Piece of shit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's better from Pizza Hut too, motherfucker. Hurd decided to hire Barr even though Booker Ole Anderson thought Barr was too small to work in the company. Barr joined WCW in 1990 and was renamed the Juicer to avoid copyright issues. The Juicer, which, God, such connotations in wrestling. The Juicer, brother. Did he come out as he John Moxley and just gash himself every time? Have you never? Have you ever seen footage of him coming out as the Juicer? Yeah, I have. It's. It looks very carnyish. It doesn't look good. Like when they're blowing all this money on fucking, uh, uh, fuck Oz. Oz, yeah, that was exactly what Oz with Oz being there, <laughs> and they give him this juicer gimmick, and it looks like shit. And it sucks because Art's a great worker that he he got kind of almost saddled with this. Uh, but luckily, um, it didn't really last for long. Uh, due to a sexual assault conviction that followed him, along with his small stature, he would lose his spot and would be released. Yeah. There's a pattern well, here. With, he, he, had, he had some issues. Yeah, he had some issues. Um, a lot of it was, you know, personal stuff, uh, which we'll talk about later on in the aftermath because um, Art Bar is not long for this world after this match at all. 
After leaving WCW, no. Barr was brought into Mexico's uh, CMLL promotion by Conan. He initially wrestled under a mask as the American Love Machine, and was a very and had a pretty much really good successful run. A year after entering uh, CMLL, CMLL uh, the American Love Machine faced off against another masked wrestler, Blue Panther, in a mask versus mask match. 18,000 fans sold out the 17,000-seat arena in Mexico City, and another 8,000 fans watched on a big screen TV in the parking lot just to see the show. Put that in perspective. The building only had, could only seat 17,000. There was 18,000 fans there. That's wild. Where's the fire marshal? That is freaking wild. <laughs> It's Mexico. It's Wild Wild West, man. <laughs> there is no fire marshal. You you are correct. Uh, soon after, Barr uh, would leave that organization to join Conan's newly formed AAA promotion, which leads us into the Los Gringos Locos. In 1992, Art Barr debuted as the Love Machine in AAA. Shortly after, Eddie Guerrero would turn on his partner, El Hio Del Santo, and join Barr in the tag team La Parrera, Del Terror, the pair of terror. The pair were highly successful as they would go on to win the world championship and become arguably the most hated tag team in Lucha Libre wrestling. Los Gringos Locos was intended to be the Mexican version of the Four Horsemen. Barr was American and Guerrero was Mexican-American. They were able to draw heat from Mexican crowds as they acted more and more American. The group also included your favorite, Conan, Chicano Power, and my favorite wrestling name of all time, Madonna's boyfriend, who was Luis Piccoli. <laughs> Madonna's boyfriend Luis is Piccoli. the greatest fucking wrestling name ever. Madonna's boyfriend. I mean, who's Madonna's boyfriend? Who wasn't at that point? Sorry, Madonna. Eddie would later say that no matter how many people joined Los Gringos Locos, the stable was all about bar. Art bar was the one that they focused on because the dude had natural charisma he could generate heat and god damn he was a hand dude could work mm -hmm. he's a heat magnet too at this time with I'm, I'm sure touch on it but like they touch on it in commentary all the laws and stuff they're trying to pass and uh, against hispanics and latino americans and stuff like he fed into that and just kept the heat coming it's borderline shit that couldn't be done today it's mm -mm. almost there mm -mm. It's almost there, but it's it's a cheap heat nonetheless. Uh, the Gringos Locos uh, feuded mostly with El Hio Del Santo and his partner Octagon throughout the end of 1993 through 1994. Which brings us to our competitors on the other side of the ring. El Hio Del Santo, Jorge Guzman, was born August 2nd, 1963. Guzman is the youngest child out of fucking 11 of Rodolfo Guzman Huerta, better known as El Santo, a professional wrestler, film actor, and Mexican folk hero. 11 goddamn kids. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a ton. Not even going to lie. That, that's a whole fucking baseball team. Plus a reliever and a closer. Jesus. Uh, he made his wrestling debut in February 1982 under the name El Korak but officially adopted his most famous ring name and silver mask in October of 82. During his career, as uh, Guzman had worked for pretty much every major wrestling promotion, as well as stints with the WWF in the United States and in Japan for New Japan and All Japan Pro Wrestling. 
Early in his career, he formed a, su- a successful tag team with Eddie Guerrero, as we mentioned, called La Parera Atomica, inspired by their father, fathers, El Santo and Gory Guerrero, Guerrero, until Eddie turned heel, which he then formed the team with Octagon. So it brings us to Octagon. Growing up, Octagon was mainly in- interested in martial arts. He made his wrestling debut in December of 81 as Dragon Dorado, the Golden Dragon. Not long after, he changed his gimmick and became known as La Amenaza Elegante. Elegante? I'm butchering it, guys. I failed Spanish. <laughs> but, That's Spanish for the elegant threat. El- Elegante's coming back? Is he about to dunk a basketball on somebody? You're goddamn right. He couldn't, ha- he couldn't hack it with the Hawks, but you know what? Jim Hurd's going to put him on television anyway. Uh, he would actually go on to be signed by CMLL. Uh, In late 88 to early 89, Octagon, along with CMLL booker Antonio Pena, who we will see in this match, uh, decided to create a new character that played off Octagon's martial arts background. The name was inspired by the movie The Octagon, starring Chuck Norris. They talk about that in this match as well on commentary. Mm -hmm. Together, they created the concept of Octagon, a Mexican ninja complete with black clothes, a black and white mask that incorporated a red headband. The persona was a hit with fans, especially the younger fans, considering they didn't really sell T-shirts. They sold Lucha masks. So when you look in the crowd in this show, almost every young fan is wearing an octagon mask. And they're holding one up. Oh, yeah. It's big. Octagon became a successful movie star with his gimmick in Mexico, even getting heat with Mil Mascaris over his success. No yobs. No yobs. No yobs. When Antonio Pena left CMLL and created AAA in 1992, Octagon was one of the first CMLL wrestlers that left with Pena, staying loyal to the man that had helped him create his wrestling persona. In AAA, Octagon was quickly paired with El Hijo del Santo to form what would become the top babyface tag team of the promotion. As far as I know, they never really had a name. They never said that they had a, a tag name, which is wild because they were together for so long. You'd think they would, but they don't. The feud between Octagon and Santos versus the Los Gringos Locos began in late 1993 and quickly had the two teams face off in a match designed to crown the first AAA tag champions. Octagon and El Hijo del Santo would become the first champions in November of 93. The feud would continue throughout 1994, seeing the team lose the tag titles to Guerrero and Love Machine in July. The storyline between Los Gringos and Octagon and El Hijo del Santo was one of the main selling points of the first ever wrestling pay-per-view produced by a wrestling company in Mexico when worlds collide. Originally, it was planned to be the mask of El Santo versus the hair of Eddie Guerrero in a singles match with Octagon and Love Machine being on the outside of the ring. Before the show, however, it became a tag team match in which Octagon and Santo bet their masks against Guerrero and Art Bar's hair. Believe uh, from everything I heard, Art Bar... Uh, essentially told them that this could be the blow-off with this big pay-per-view um, if they would make it a tag match instead of a singles match. They wanted the singles match because it goes back mm. to Eddie turning on, on uh, El Hijo del Santo, but it made, I guess I mean, to me it makes more sense to make it a tag match anyway. Yeah, they already had that feud going on, so why not, like he said, cap it off? Yeah. And that leads us right into this match, Travis, and this show. 
When Worlds Collide took place on November 6, 1994 at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena in Los Angeles, California, with an attendance of 13,000. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's impressive. I mean, for uh, Lucia to come to America and put on a pay-per-view and draw that many fans in is a statement in and of itself. I mean, where they were in California is, you know, a largely Hispanic area too, but they did great pulling all those people in. I mean, there's they and the crowds into it too. It's not just like a generic crowd. We're giving you tickets. Like these people paid to come see this show. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that was their demographic. They weren't. And they, they have a predominantly Hispanic uh, crowd. I don't, I mean, when I, looking back, I don't remember seeing very many just normal white people. I just saw a lot of, you know, Mexican American, um, families and kids and and uh, they were having a great time crowds hot through this entire show too i watched some of it um the show was produced by the technical staff of wcw as wcw executive vice president eric bischoff had helped triple a secure the show to be broadcast by american pay-per-view providers marking the first time a non-us based wrestling promotion was shown live on us pay-per-view that's huge mm. that is a huge accomplishment uh, if you go back to, I know I posted, uh, I have some clips I posted. We found the pre-show, like the the build-up to to the pay-per-view, and it's essentially just an ad run over and over again, and they just keep talking and saying the same, it's Chris Cruz talking about the same shit. Um, you can even hear the guy doing the voiceover work is the exact same guy who did the voiceover work for WCW's uh, pay-per-view uh, commercials and stuff like that. Yep. It's pretty much set up like a WCW command center or control center uh, thing going in for pay-per-view. Chris Cruz and Mike Tanay were the commentators on this show. And Mark Tanay's first time commentating uh, as a commentator in professional wrestling. He had a radio show, but this is his first time actually being in front of the cameras doing commentary. Travis. He's the professor, man. It shows it right here in this this, this, uh, pay-per-view. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Chris Cruz. Travis, I have a segment planned right here, Hmm. and it's called Chris Cruz is Crazy. Chris Cruz is Crazy. You started sending me these little (laughs) things about Chris Cruz. The first thing you said to me was, Chris Cruz is a pedophile. I said, holy fuck, is he really? And you're like, nobody looks like one. And then you started sending me these fucking stories. And the stories were crazy. It's like Travis, you gotta you gotta mention these stories on the podcast. So talk about what you found on Chris Cruz today. Yeah, pretty pretty sure Chris Cruz is more relevant now than he was his entire WCW career. But one is that he tried to block Ric Flair from coming back to have his final match. Like he filed a grievance with the Maryland State Athletic Commission trying to get Flair not being able to come back to to wrestle his last match because he was old and had a bad heart. He was worried he was going to die stuff. in the ring, I think, was something I read, too. P- pretty much. Like, I mean, that he was, was close. That was one. Um, the second one it also involves another flair. He made fun of Charlotte Flair for taking pictures without makeup on, uh, like, when she was getting ready to come back to the ring or something. Like, he, he put that up there and got in trouble for that. Um, the one I will commend him for is where he got a w- AEW fined $10,000 for that abomination of a match, that barbed wire match that Omega and Moxley had because they bled in uh, Maryland and 
<laughs> they got fined five thousand dollars a piece for the competitors because he reported them for bleeding and the match not being stopped and all this other stuff. And I don't, I'd have to do some research, but I don't know if AEW's been back to Maryland since then uh, because now they're on the Athletic Commission's watch list because Chris Cruz turned them in for bleeding in the state of Maryland. Um, he is also notorious for arguing with the fans on Facebook. I don't think he has a Twitter. So he's, he's kicking it old school, fussing with people on Facebook. I sent you guys a picture of one comment he made to some guy. And he's like, he's, he, the guy made some comment about it not being relevant or something. And then they took his picture of him beside him. And he's like, you make me look thin because he's a heavier set guy. So he like ripped the fan a new one for being fat. So Chris Cruz, uh, a bitter old man, it seems like. Not not on not in AEW, not in Impact, not in WWE. Doesn't have a wrestling job anymore. I think he had a short-lived podcast back in 2015 where he talked about his WCW journey, which probably lasted about 10 episodes because he was like a CD team announcer. Like he was on fucking Worldwide every week. Like he was not. I, mean, I saw a YouTube video when I typed in Chris Cruz earlier. That was him and Larry Sabisco doing something for Worldwide. So Chris Cruz is crazy, man. I mean, he did a great job commentating this this pay per view, but he's a fucking crazy critter. Just saying. I just thought it was so funny because you, you were jokingly saying he looked like a pedophile. So now he's going to listen to this and he's going to get a suit or something. So I laughed so hard. Cool. I was like, no, I'm so disappointed at the same time. Cause like, fuck, he's all over this show. We can't be like, oh man, this guy's a pedophile. We're going to have him on our show. <laughs> he's not. I, I just, just jokingly made that joke. Crazy. He's boomer. He's, boomer he's, he's, he's crazy enough for himself. Like, but. He's been gloating about getting TNA, not TNA, AEW, like a fine because he was the man that did it. And he's like, it's a huge deal because now they're on the watch list. And ah, 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 ah. good golf clap, golf clap for Chris Cruz on that one. After getting through Chris Cruz and Mike today, let's talk about some of the matches on this show. Uh, once again, guys, I'm going to butcher these names and I apologize right away. Uh, we get a minis tag team match, uh, uh, Mascarita. Sagrada and Octagonacito. Mm-hmm. Oct- it's a mini- miniature version of Octagon. Uh, Espestrito and Jurito Estrada. It was a tag team match. Like I said, I apologize. Uh, Fuerza Guerrero, Madonna's boyfriend, who was Luis Spicoli, and Psychosis defeated Rey Mysterio Jr., Heavy Metal, and Latin Lover. Uh, this one was a little bit wild to me as well so the pegasus kid so chris benoit two cold scorpio and tito fucking santana defeated jerry estrada la uh, LA, uh la parka i'm so used to seeing uh la park now but la parka and blue panther uh, we would get this two out of three falls mask versus hair match between octagon and el hill del santo versus la Pereira del Taror of art bar and eddie guerrero and the main event is Pero aguayo Defeating your favorite Conan. Not my favorite. I hate Conan. Once again, I, I'm super sorry. I, I butchered those fucking names, guys. Uh, but the main match we're here to see uh, is uh, this tag team match. This match was actually suggested by our good buddy Brandon. I tried to get Brandon to do um, some audio for us, but he fell and he sprained his vagina, so he couldn't do anything. 
Um, <laughs> sidebar, really quick. So a couple. So the, we're recording this on Wednesday. So last Friday is last Friday. Um, Brandon's like, yeah. "Hey man, he's like, we haven't played games in a while. Let's play like Evil Dead or something like that." I was like, "Yeah, dude, let's play, let's play." And he's like, "I'm gonna eat and then I'm gonna hop on." So like, I waited for like an hour. I was like, "Dude, did you die? Like, what the fuck happened?" He goes, "He goes, no, I sprained my ankle." I was like, "Motherfucker, how? What did you do to sprain your ankle?" He's like, "I just stepped on a bank." So Brandon's an old man, um, and I had just left him. Like 30, 45 minutes before, because he rode with me to the flea market and stuff that day. And then he's like, I sprained my ankle. I was like, dude, I dropped you off at home. Like, what the, what the fuck happened at home? And he's like, I just tripped over my own two feet. I'm like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Poor guy. He, he took a day off and just laid, in, laid around. And he said, other than going to the bathroom, that's the furthest he walked. And then he had to work like a couple of doubles. And then he was going to be doing FrankenCon this weekend. Uh, in Knoxville with the the dudes over uh, over with them with Frankencon, so the ramps you know have you know they have a table set up and they're doing a bunch of stuff. So he's been really busy. So we try to get some audio from him. Um, Brandon's actually had a pretty good little run here. He's had a, a few matches. Uh, the uh, Oli and Arn versus the um, Rock and Roll Express. Rock and Roll. Uh, the, a- the AWA match with Nick Bockwinkle and Kurt Henning, which is up to uh, it's our second most downloaded episode now. It's cre- creeping up there pretty fast. Uh, it's done. It's done very well. Creeping. And um, and now this match. So Brandon's putting some quality content and kind of a, a broad spectrum of matches on our uh, on our list. Yeah, apparently Fat Tony this weekend at FrankenCon is going to have a. Sh- shirt with a picture of me on it it's just my face really and it says cuck <laughs> so fuck you fat tony fuck you that's good shit me and, me and fat tony get along pretty well actually so uh, that's that's pretty good shit so guys <laughs> we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we're gonna roll right into this watch along Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. And we are back, Travis. Back and ready. Are our worlds about to collide? I wish I could do like a blow up explosion with my fist right now. Oh, yeah. They're about to collide. So, Travis, so Travis what we're going to do here is if you guys want to watch this match along with us, it's really hard to find, but not really. If you go on YouTube, you can find the entire When Worlds Collide show. Uh, There's also a um, match. This match is actually from one of Eddie Guerrero's, um, I think it's it's, um, Cheating Death Death, Still in Life. life. Uh, It's on his his DVD Mm -hmm. set. Uh, so that's where we're watching. It's also on YouTube as well. Uh, We're going to start about the 1 minute and 25 second spot in. Um, Travis, you ready, my friend? Let's do it. Do it. Let's do it, guys. We're going to say three, two, one, and hit play and start rolling. Three, two, 
one, play. Here we go. Do, do, do. So I, I gotta, I, I, I gotta say, like, this. Oh, go ahead. We talked about this, but Octagon and Great Sasuke look so fucking similar. That's the that's the first not, fucking thing but... I was gonna say right then is that they they could be identical because in my head I was like I kept thinking of Taka Michinoku and Great Sasuke having matches I think they wrestle at Canadian Stampede correct and I'm like yes. was that Octagon I'm like I'm like I, I was trying to wrap my brain around it and then I pulled up I was like no no that was Great Sasuke and then I saw them like side by side and I was like holy shit that's the same character essentially. Their mask is the only thing that's different. Now, Sasuke changes later on, but like this time period, they look almost identical, except for the mask. Oh, yeah. Because his is more Kabuki-ish, I want to say. I want to, I think, uh, is how it would be. Oh, God, look at that. It's fucking amazing. Um, You'll start to see how smooth these guys are in the ring. They're very smooth. Uh, the luchador style is very different. Biggest thing with luchador wrestling, and I learned this as soon as I started, you know, getting involved with the wrestling business, and I never noticed it. But a lot of lucha guys work the right; they don't work the left. So um, there's a couple times where they throw them with the right. Uh, they do right armed um, headlocks, and it looks weird to me. Right but now. that's yep. That's 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 the style of wrestling there. Once again, too, the big Corona logo right in the middle of the ring. Uh, it, it's kind of a culture shock from what you're used to watching, you know, WCW, WWF around this time. And look at the ref too, the, the suspenders, the party suspenders, the two-tone shoes, like all this stuff. Like, I mean, completely different than what in, people would be used to in American wrestling style. 100% Rudo down there. We got a mark in right, the crowd. Right. And we got to look at this. <laughs> Beautiful. Eddie Eddie's Beautiful. mullet is so long and it's dyed. It's so 94 and I love it. And then Art Bars is still very 80s. Like I just got off got out of my damn uh, T-Bird out in the parking lot. Yeah, you're right. You guys Trans Am, baby. I love their tights, Man. though. There's like the, the ripped American flag looking stuff. I like it. Like it. Yeah, if uh I believe it was last year's WrestleMania, Dominic Mysterio is wearing that style gear it's kind of an homage to them uh i gotta mm. tell you man if you're just watching this art bar is a fucking star look at just how smooth he is in the ring and it's a shame that his size and stature kind of held him back i look at that he went to go for an, an arm drag there missed it great well, the, the thing over here in this match though he's like the tallest guy in the match oh yeah if you really look at it he's the tallest guy in the match uh, this that kind of goes back to beautiful drop kick and grail attacks him in the back. Um, I watched the the dark side of the ring with uh, on Chris Candido and a, pretty much everybody said in today's era Chris Candido would have been a star just because of his oh, yeah. you know his, his size kind of held him back you know for that time period. But he kind of you know paved the way. Oh man, this is actually a pretty pretty dangerous spot here. I'm not gonna lie, I would I wouldn't Ooh. mind a dark side of the ring on Art Bar. Oh, that would be great. And that's a one, two, three. So the way this match works, it is a little strange. So it's two out of three falls, but you have to pin both guys to yep. get the full fall. So they already just pinned uh, Santo. Uh, they're going to do a superplex and do Oof. a beautiful 
beautiful frog splash from our bar. I think he has the most beautiful frog splash. Oh my God. It's, he looks like a frog. Oh man. Like that's what Eddie used to say about it. It's beautiful. So I had a weird realization in this uh, match watching it. Um, there's a new Japan guy who looks just like Art Bar. Do you know who it is? Mm, He's no, local no, too. Chase Owens. If you look him in no, the face, he looks, Owens. he looks just like Chase Owens. I see it. I'll give Chase see. Owens that much credit. <laughs> I got no heat with Chase. I like Chase. Um, you can work. Uh, it's crazy that they got the fall. I mean, we're like less than five minutes in, and they already got the first fall. That's huge. There's, there's an, uh, so, an octagon mask. Um, they do talk about uh, Conan being a soap opera star, so I know that got you all hot and bothered uh, with Conan being your favorite wrestler and all. Uh, new, all, uh, all jokes aside, really quick, before the match even got started, you saw they were getting heat uh, outside. Uh, they were you know, acting like they were swimming, saying the only way that they could get to uh, America is to swim the river. Talk about fucking heat, buddy. Yep. Well, that's what they were doing in the ring right then is the backstroke and stuff like that. And Chris Cruz has to explain that. And Mike Tanay, so you know, they're right like, there. oh, God, we got to explain what they're doing. Does he not? He looks like Chase Owens, man. No. Yeah. I like it. They're the cocky, overconfident heel. There's McDonald's boyfriend at the at ringside, and I believe they have Blue Panther in their corner on the other side. He comes involved later. I always want to say Blue Demon because that's who was in WCW, yeah. and they they look exactly the same. Their getup is exactly the same. Yeah, it's Blue Panther because he actually was in the match before this, and then came out as their manager mm. for this. When did you first see this match? I want to say I had heard about this show, so it's one of the shows I downloaded on LimeWire or Kazaa or however you want to say it. But then the high the higher quality version is when the DVD came out. The uh, Eddie Guerrero DVD with it on it. But I, I want to say that's the, that's the first time I saw it was when the DVD watching the came show. Out. I can remember watching the show, but I don't think I had the English commentary on mine. I think I had like I want to say it was the uh, Spanish version, but it was all I could get off LimeWire at the time, so I didn't get as much out of it until I got the English commentary. Because believe it or not, I don't speak Spanish or really understand a few words. So that was beautiful bouncing on the suplex. Yeah, it is a. Uh... Oh man, he's trying to roll and get out of the way. He makes the tag to Octagon here. Eddie's trying to get some more cheap heat. Uh, I do think Octagon is like the the perfect time and place for that gimmick. Is around this time period, or like the late eighties, early nineties. You know, you got Karate Kids getting hot. All the Van Damme movies. Uh, it's, it's a really good time frame to have a character like this. It pokes him right in the fucking eye. <laughs> right in the eye. And he just brings him over there to Art Bar, slaps him in the face. He's fucking dragging him around by his, uh, his, uh, like almost like his the ninja headband on. Look at that cheap heat, baby. I love it. Uh, really quick, uh, we were talking about Art Bar, beautiful drop kicks too. Art Bar doing the frog splash. Um, I was listening to Conrad and Bruce talk about the the, the pair, and apparently, uh. Art started using the frog splash without Eddie's blessing and Eddie got hot over it. There was some heat between them because, you know, that was kind of his move that he, 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 you know, started to make famous. The only thing is art made it even better, man. He, he just perfected the move. No. Oof. Freaking 
Santo there. Santo. Oh. They do talk about in commentary Santo's dad was buried in his mask, which I think is cool. They're like, even yeah, people didn't know what he looked like it when he died. Well, they so, said he had wrestled for cool. like 41 years or something like that. Been in over like 100 movies or something. So that's crazy. They, they kind of fucked this spot up right here, but they save oh, it. Yeah. With beautiful stereo drop kicks. And then they're going to dive here. And then that right. stereo dives. Beautiful. Do you know what that is? You know what that is? That was for Eric. Like that people patting El Santo. No, how much he loves Excalibur. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, so really, really uh, quick, do you want to put over the commentary team? The commentary team during this is so good, man. And it's two babyface commentaries. I typically don't like that, but it they play each other really well. They make it feel like it's a not necessarily pro wrestling but it's a competition you know what i mean if that makes sense no well and i i give it to them too because they are they're explaining the way they're the way their commentary is they're explaining a lot of this because it's the first time american fans are seeing it so it's like an education for people so they're very good at explaining what is what who is who why they were in these situations stuff like that so the they're more of like telling you what it is than trying to do color commentary and add something to it. So kudos to Mike Tanay and Chris Cruz on this because they talk about the who, what's and why's and they talk about stuff surrounding it, like the Ronald Reagan stuff. And the I can't remember what amendment it is. They're trying to pass in California, but they keep all that in there to show why these guys are so hated here because they're trying to limit Latino Americans in this section of the country. So that that plays into it. So um, they did a great job of just explaining to me things I didn't know. Cause I mean, I learned stuff in here that, I mean, I've been watching wrestling all my life and learned more about uh, Santo and stuff like that. than I ever knew before this, or, you know, when That's I watched Mike, the first Mike few Tanae times. Mike is the professor, baby. Great spot. Well, that's why Art, he was always brought in for the, yep. Oh, he thinks he's beat him and he doesn't turns around. Great move. This, it is, looked this great. is cool. It's fantastic. So it was really cool because, you know, they got the second fall on uh, El Santo and it, you know, the tension started to rise because all, you know, they just had to pin Octagon to, get, you know, to win the match completely and lose the mask. And they come out there and he, he does a, a quick, you know, boom, boom, gets them both. Uh, that was a cool move. It was like that, a Russian leg sweep into cr- like a. That crowd is hot. Jumping out of their seats hot. Oh, yeah. Like it's it's I, amazing it, to see. 13,000, man. It, they they packed the house. But back back to Tanay, right? That's why they brought him in for the Cruiserweight matches because he had all this knowledge and background. So he would explain this all to you during those Cruiserweight matches. And he was the perfect guy to do it. And it led to bigger roles on down the line for Tanay. And uh, he's he's kind of an unsung hero in uh, TNA, WCW places like that. Uh, I wish they would he would come back to wrestling in some form or fashion. But uh, apparently, he's very happy out there giving out sports betting tips now in Vegas. So good for all tonight good for him. Yeah, um, it's wild when you say that because he is kind of an unsung hero for that run WCW had. And as a kid, and I'm thinking back to memories. 
there's only a handful of memories I can remember, like Shabani having, you know, sting and stuff. But when I think back to the matches I really enjoyed, Mike Tanay's voice pops into my head from those matches. I remember him more than most everybody else on commentary. Well, well he had the unable task too of commentating Thunder and stuff too. And like, I enjoy listening to him and Bobby Heenan on Thunder just because they're trying to get people interested in Thunder. And that's a hard damn thing to do in 2000. But they're trying their asses off. So I'm a big Tanae fan, more than I was probably growing up. Yeah. Yeah, I've grown I've grown a lot. Uh, enjoy. He was great in TNA. Him and Don West are fantastic. Uh, so I've, I've, I've always got a soft spot for Mike Tanae in my heart. Um, going back to um, – they, they start hyping things for WCW because – this you know the show took place on a Sunday. Great reversal there. One, two. They they broke it up. Um, but they they they're putting over the next Clash of the Champions. That's on that Wednesday. Do you do you, in the commentary they talk mm-hmm. about the main event? Do you know what the main event was? Yeah, it's like a six man tag with the Dungeon of Doom versus is, it, is Hogan somebody and is it Sting? I think I want to say maybe. It's a it is a huge six man tag match between the Butcher Avalanche and Sullivan versus Sting Hogan and Dave Sullivan from Clash of the Champions twenty nine. Yep, yep. Evad. I couldn't remember who the third was, but yeah, it's Evad. That's wild. Fuck Brandon for buying me an autograph from Dave Sullivan. Some random fat kid <laughs> in it. That was you. Up. Oh. Well, it's not me. One. Oh, stop it right in the head. Don't lie. Don't lie. I have my notes here, too. We kind of talked about it already. You know, Octagon has a tremendous look, but um, he looks just like the great Sasuke. However, he would actually they would actually develop imitators on purpose. Oh, kick right to the ribs. Uh, they, would Im- mm-hmm. they would actually make imitators in AAA to have him feud with... Um, with people and one of those people would become in would become Pentagon, which would spawn Pentagon Jr., which is you know well known now as uh Pinto mm-hmm. Penta L Zero M or uh oh. what he has so many different names now, but uh, Pen- Pentagon Bar. Yeah, so um yeah. great worker though, and really enjoy Pentagon. He's wrestled for us. Um uh we in Mexico as a deep cut uh that I, I don't think we've talked about on the podcast. One day we will, because we will be talking about them. Just look at the kicks, this just, man. This is just a fun match. Like that this is this has the 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 fun task of having everything poke in the eyes again. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it has the fun task of you have you you have your asshole heels here with Eddie uh, and um, our uh, and, and Bar and um, yeah he's trying to go for the gory special uh, and then you have you know the the quintessential baby faces you know Eddie Guerrero turned heel on uh, El Hijo del Santo so they're immediately super sympathetic for them the the Los Gringos Locos has been running kind of rough shot you know that was supposed to be in the the triple a version of the four horsemen so i mean put that in perspective you know we didn't see all the shows before it but they legit may have been just as hot as you know the horsemen on oh, this is a great spot he he almost lands really high and tight right here oh god 
I will say the the rules are if you watch the ref, he's not trying to make people leave or anything like that. The rules are kind of lax. That's a luchador that, style. So. Uh, they they do yep. adopt some of that, you know, during lucha rules matches in um, WCW later on. And I think for WD or oh. for American audiences, this is great. Eddie got caught in the ropes. Looks I like I think Eddie got but, caught on the rope a little bit. But I think it was hard for American audiences to kind of get used to this, just the the rules because it's just boom, 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 boom. I just think that they were so used to the slower paced tag matches that this was a lot for them to kind of process. Mm-hmm. Good job, for Blue Panther, keeping people riled up at ringside. Though, here's the, here's the spot where they cut stuff out on the one of the versions I watched. I think well, this version. It's weird they cut the spot yep, right here. Yeah, they cut they cut that spot just to here, and this is a great spot. Oh. Essentially, all we missed, people, was uh, Santo reversing the superplex into a face buster, then coming off of the like some version of a bulldog, and then it goes right into that spot. Like, there's nothing then, oh, bad there. Oh, he just Ooh, did a spinning, twisting tombstone. Top, one, two, three, and the crazy thing about this is that the any form of a power a pal driver has been banned because they're worried mm-hmm. about injuries and. Holy shit, bud. They sell the fuck out of the pal driver in this match. It feels like a real yep. big deal that this happened. He doesn't move for a while. No. But I'm just going to tell you, I mean, the medical professionals here not great. at this arena are terrible. Are terrible. Not great. <laughs> Dude, watch this spot, too. <laughs> Let me just and this is a broken neck. Let's just roll you out. <laughs> He does that twice in this match, by the way. I know he he does, and he it was such a high and tight German suplex, there's a clothesline German suplex uh combo, and it for 94, that is a devastating looking move. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, there it is. Hey, hadn't missed a meal, Antonio Pena. They're going to try to go over this finish again. He almost killed himself. Ooh, oh, here it is. Boom. Beautiful frog splash. It's, it's beautiful. Jesus. One, One two, two. And then found hey, the power. We're going to roll you out of here. <laughs> oh, your next person, who fucking cares? Oh, your next person. <laughs> <laughs> drop you, you to the ground. Your neck's broken. You on let me, let me move it a fucking round a little bit. Let's just see if you're okay. Nobody <laughs> neck board. Like, I will say Chris Cruz is very good at translating for us. And there's like one point he's like, "Don't move your arms. <laughs> Don't move it. It's fucking hand." <laughs> oh, here we go. Ooh. The heels got busted. Drop kick. Oh, look at this. This, this dive, man. No, this right this here. Not even. Boom. Quick. I like that spot there where he tries to stop him. Like. Oh, yeah. You don't see that a lot now where he's like trying to reach him. Up oh, here it is. Payback's a bitch, Art Bar. Look at the crowd. The cr- look Oof. at the fucking crowd. Look at, look at Madonna's boyfriend. Madonna's right boyfriend. Oh, he's, there he is. <laughs> he's just oh, out. I fucked up. <laughs> 
<laughs> my neck is broken. Look at Art. Terrible. Look at uh, Santa. Santa just lands right on him. One, two, three. And he sells that pile driver like it was the biggest move that ever that ever happened. And it comes it's down fantastic. to the, the two that started it all. It's, it's beautiful storytelling. It is. Everything it is means the, something. The, the drama to this, even, you know, with a fast-paced Lucha style, yeah, let's just move your head. It's fine. It's cool. <laughs> We're going to pull you out by your foot. No big deal. Let me just jam my We're going to check your eyes and move your head. Your fucking eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? And then he turns to look at the match like, fuck. Come on, man. Support his head. <laughs> oh, Oh man, as we, we're getting to the closer to the end of this match. Oh, beautiful set out power bomb. Ooh, uh, our, fa- our favorite part of, uh, our favorite part of the match is cagematch.net users. What do you think they rated this match out of, Travis? I'm gonna go eight point two. A little bit higher than that, eight point nine out of ten. With most saying it's mm. a great match with all four guys bringing their A game, great pacing and storytelling throughout the entire match. Eddie and Art. Uh, we're so good, and probably the best triple A match that has ever happened. Well, I rated it a little lower just b- because I thought people would have been like, "Oh my God, they had some botches. Everything wasn't smooth." First attack rules. There's not any five counts. Now, I figured there'd be they, some Mountie Mark out there doing that. Considering the fact that they've um, they've gone so fast, boom, 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 boom. There's not been very many botches i think there's only like, like maybe two mm. two or three little things um for them moving as fast as they are it's that's still impressive to me no yeah and that's that's why you know how people nitpick like yeah it didn't bother me it made it feel more like a real competition that hey things can go wrong people can mistime things and stuff they're like this isn't this is a point in time when wrestling wasn't under such a microscope either like you were allowed to fuck up a little bit and it'd still be great. Watch this dragon suplex. Oh, he does again right on his head. I love it. Slow count, ref. Come on, come on, paying you off. Cocaine, fuck out of here. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There it goes for uh, it again. I thought this was in. gonna be it. One, and two, it is. and it is it. Boom! <laughs> Look at the crowd, man. <laughs> Look at them jumping out of their seats. Like our bar that, is that's still like selling reaction it. Hogan didn't get. No. And you can see there's a little jump, there's a little quick edit there. Uh back to the 247 uh, di- uh version of this because it's gonna have the aftermath uh, of what happens here. Really quick, Travis. Uh our second uh member of Lene's Mountie Marks. Kickster. Rolling out of the gurney. S T E U R rated this match a three out of 10. Here's what he had to say about this. I'm not impressed by this match at all. Everything falls flat. Even Eddie's work. The rules were ridiculous. And the finish was dot, dot, dot strange. I don't get all the hype. It's a different style of wrestling. You fucking Mark. It's not the same stuff as American wrestling. They explain it in the rules. Listen to the commentary, you dumb piece of shit. How about you go kick yourself in the nuts, Kickster, because this is this is a great match. Like, I don't understand. Like, it, they explain it, how it's different from American rules in here. Like, 
I mean, Eddie Guerrero's work is great. Our bar, bar's work is great. They all have their moments to shine. Like, I mean, I was thinking it was going to be T-Swifty again here. But, like, my thing is this guy obviously is just watching it through the lens of an American wrestling fan and not embracing how different Lucha Libre is to American wrestling and the differences and why it works. That crowd jumping out of their seat tells you that match worked. I don't need Kickster to tell me the match worked because he's a little bitch that probably jerks off to fucking Hulk Hogan wrestling buddies in his basement. That's weird. Those are kids' toys. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> this, this I, I personally, I would rate this match a, a solid eight out of ten. The work rates there, the stories mm. there. This is the culmination to their story. Um, the only thing I, I really wish that they would have done is put the tag titles on the line because Art and mm-hmm. um, Eddie are the champions still. I think it would have been a cool crowning moment for them to win the titles. And now they're gonna they're gonna cut their uh, their hair off. And I like the fact that it's their teammates doing it. Like Art cuts um, Eddie's hair off, cuts that mullet right off, and then Eddie does the exact same thing to Art. So, um, no, I don't know. It's it's crazy how much better Eddie looks once they cut the mullet off. I know he looks a lot better, and like he takes that haircut to ECW later on. But just just in case nobody gets it, fuck you, Kickster. Just gonna tell you that right now. I hope. Uh, yeah. Hope your dreams are filled of, with uh, American wrestling that is full of probably Ryback because that's probably what you like. Speaking of Ryback, Ryback put on Twitter that he, he was going to come back. Please like don't. Royal Rumble or something. He's not coming back because no one wants to see his ass. He's got CTE and wrestling for like three years. Get out of here. Maybe oh, you should man, eat some more shit on uh, TikTok. Like other crime. Oh, look, look at this hair. They even talk about it on commentary. Fans try to get this stuff because it's a huge deal when you lose a hair versus mass match. Like they want the hair to take home with them to be part of the moment. And Santo starts giving it out to him. He does in a few minutes. He starts. Yeah, he grabs and starts handing it out. Like I said Eddie looks so much better than the it's crazy to me that like they didn't do something with Spicoli and Eddie and WCW knowing that they were affiliated with each other in AAA when he was there for that time period. Yeah. Um, I think what, mm-hmm. what we missed, well, at least what I missed watching this, is going forward, they are uh, – teasing the rift between them because Eddie didn't really want to take make this match a tag match and he blames uh Art blames him for losing the match because he took the last fall. So mm-hmm. we never really get the fruition. Oh, I will say he didn't die. Um the, the pile driver didn't destroy him like it did Octagon. He was gonna get a haircut brother. Well he did a spinning tombstone pile driver so that's the difference. You don't understand working. No. I don't. I mean, don't look at look at Art Bar. Almost look like he's crying. It's great heel work. Great. Okay. He's going in there, handing he has the hair. He's <laughs> handing around the fans. He grabbed an octagon mask off a kid in the crowd, and he's he's holding it up. They're getting it too. Like he's, he's kind of a shitty job. They're like. 
cut it really close. Like, I mean, they're, they're going to have to get their head shaved to make that shit look good because <laughs> oh, yeah. it looks terrible. Madonna's boyfriend just standing there mad. This gold tights. I dig it. Louis Piccoli, man, he worked AAA, WCW, and WWF all within a few year period. Good for him. I believe ECW he also worked too. ECW as well. Yep, yeah. Yep. Oh, Spicoli driver, man. Tommy Dreamer. You're right. He adopted it after he passed away. That's crazy that here it is where they start teasing it right here. It's crazy that all about three it of here. Those guys. Even the bar also also had to get pinned. All three of those guys died pretty young. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's a sad story because when Luis Piccoli died, it was kind of like out of nowhere, which he was kind of not on the radar in WCW when it happened. But it was still a shocking thing. Like, I mean, the guy was super young, and Scott Hall had taken him under his wing, kind of made him his lackey to kind of give him TV time in WCW. So it, it's, um, it was a shocking thing. A lot of people were were surprised, but then again, not surprised because he had an uh, an addiction problem from what a lot of people said. Those fucking somas, dude. He was rad, rad, rad for WWF. He was, and that's the match, Travis. I will, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. About an eight, eight point two, kind of like what I said. I, I think it was a great match. Um, you know, just from just from uh, everything that went on with it, I think it was had a great story. Uh, a lot of things rolled into each other. Um, the two out of the two falls, two out of three falls was a little wonky for me, but I get it. It's not, you know, not my rules that I'm used to, but I was, I had to take a step back there for a second. But why do they have to get, I was like, they just won two falls straight back to back. And then I was like, Oh, okay. They got to pin both guys, but um, great action, nonstop, great story deserves to be on the list. So yeah, I, good, good, in good retrospect, stuff. I kind of like. I kind of like that version of the two out of three falls because it kind of adds more to it. Well, it, adds it more makes drama it to it. the responsibility of, of both of the guys instead of just one. So even though Art Bar is trying to pin that on Eddie, he got pinned too. So it's still technically his fault as well. Even though he got oh, yeah. killed, pinned, pinned with an illegal pile driver, brother. Yeah, he got up though. Octagon did not because it was a spinning tombstone pile driver. <laughs> the aftermath, Travis. This pay-per-view is considered the first time most viewers in the United States were exposed to the Lucha Libre style of wrestling and contributed to several AAA workers, especially Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, Conan, Psychosis, and Juventud Guerrera, working consistently in the United States. However, Art Bar would die only 17 days after this match on November 23, 1994 due to a heart attack caused by a drug overdose, allegedly. Uh, the exact reason has never been mm. stated. It's just kind of been speculated, but that's what they believe. It was due to um, a drug overdose, which it's a, it's a shame. Yeah, because he was getting ready to come into like ECW and stuff, I believe, was the plan. They were going to come together. Bar and, Bar and Guerrero were the reigning AAA World Tag Team Champions, uh, at the time of Barr's death, and Triple A opted to retire the championships. That's a classy fucking move. I think that's uh, a big um, deal. Kinda, Ring of Honor kind of did the same thing with um, when Jay Briscoe passed away. So I think that's um, 
that's a classy move. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, following when Worlds Collide, AAA owner Antonio Pena was working on a storyline that would have Barr and Guerrero turn on Conan, turning Conan babyface in the process. The conclusion of the storyline would come at Triple Mania 3, where AAA was hoping to sell out the 130,000-seat arena. They had some big fucking plans. Yeah, and being the fact that Conan was a huge babyface before he turned heel, when they would have turned on him, it would have probably made him an even bigger baby face uh, at that point. Oh, I agree, 100%. Uh, Barr's death was followed shortly afterwards by the Mexican peso crisis, which meant most of the U.S.-based wrestlers were able to earn only a fraction of what they were used to while working for AAA. At the time of Barr's death, both wrestlers were in negotiations to work for ECW part-time. But due to the peso crisis, it led to Eddie Guerrero working for ECW full time instead. I I don't have it in my um, my notes, but I want to talk about this. Eddie and Art as a heel tag team in '95 WWF when they had a need for heel tag teams, I think that would have been great. I think it would have been great if you'd have let them be them i mean oh, yeah. for the time they would WWF, water them down you they would have watered them down and hopefully they wouldn't have tried to do some kind of racial gimmick with them like where they would overhype their hispanic heritage or something they'd have let them be these guys the heel tag team um they would have been they would they're already ahead of their time but they would have been ahead of their time in wwf way at the time like they went to ECW. That's where I think they could have really shown everything that they were. Cause Paul Heyman had no filter. He did whatever he wanted. He pushed the envelope where WWF was kind of vanilla at the time. Well, in retrospect, you would have probably gotten triple threat versus, uh, Guerrero, um, and art bar. Ben Juan uh, Malenko been versus them. Malenko. Oh my God. Ooh. Can you imagine those matches? Mm. And then on top of that, oh, and, yeah, but... you know, in retrospect, we talked about the WWF. If they went to WCW, they could have came to WCW as heels and feuded with guys like Harlem Heat and like the Nasty Boys and could have got over as chicken shit heels. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, they, they they could have worked anywhere, I really think so. But their, their best bet would have been to go into ECW where they could have really done what they wanted to do, what they were doing. Um but them versus the Steiners would have killed. I mean, that didn't even have to. I mean, if they'd have got that match in ECW or New Japan or somewhere like that. That that match would have been probably bonkers. Um, it just just didn't happen, man. Like we we missed some of these classic matches just by circumstance, and it sucks because they would have probably been lasting memories for people. And but then again. If Eddie, if this would have never happened to Art Bar, then you might not have got the single star that Eddie Guerrero became either. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. You would you get one and lose the other. So um, it's just um, it's 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 cool to fantasy book it though because there there were some great matches that could have happened in that year, even in '96. Um, that would have been really cool to see. Yeah, uh, really quick too. Um, with everything, you know art passing away uh conrad thompson had said that eddie was like very adamant about not doing pills after art passed away like it really affected him um of course you know Mm. he would get addicted to painkillers and and 
uh, become an alcoholic and stuff. But for a while there, it kind of scared him away, which makes you wonder if Eddie wouldn't have, you know, gotten down, you know, down that road, if he would have, you know, his heart wouldn't have gave out on him compared to, you know, all the drug abuse and the alcohol abuse that he had. So uh, it's kind of a what if, uh, but, Back to the aftermath here, Travis, with Art Bar dying and Guerrero leaving, Los Gringos Locos was abandoned as well. ECW had promoted Mm. an event titled When Worlds Collide in May of 94. They would sue WCW for copyright infringement (laughs) over the use When Worlds Collide. Fucking Heyman. The case was settled out of court. As part of the settlement, WCW agreed to to supply three of its contracted wrestlers for an ECW event on November 18th, 1994. So this was like right after. This is just a couple of weeks after, because yep. the art passed away um, five days after the ECW show. So ECW got Kevin Sullivan, Sherry Martell, and originally it was supposed to be Steve Austin, but Austin I believe was hurt or something happened, but he was replaced by Pillman instead. Yeah, he was replaced by Pillman. This is one of the many times. Uh, Paul Heyman got WCW to send him uh, stars for, for doing stuff that he sued them for. So kudos to Heyman on that. What did um what did Heyman sue to get Mick Foley um to come work ECW in ninety three, ninety-four? I think it might be the end of his contract when he kind of got done dirty where they took him off air and all that stuff and this essentially like kind of starve him out. He sued him. And then that was kind of the uh, the, the thing for that. I, I want to say because he had sued WCW on his way out the door, and that was their way of appeasing him was to give him that dream match with him and Sabu. If I'm not badly, because well, then they also get Bobby and they also got Arn, correct? They get Bobby and they get Arn as well because they were Dangerous Alliance members. He wanted them in ECW for. A couple of shots. I think I think Bobby may come in when he's like released for a little while. If I'm not badly fooled. Because yeah, I think it's around the same Smoky time Mountain he starts working too. Smoky. Yeah, Smoky Mountain. That's what I was thinking yeah. as well. Dang. Interesting. Uh, Guerrero would later end up working full-time for WCW by the end of 95 and would, of course, go on to have a Hall of Fame career. Octagon would work a dark match for the WWF before the Royal Rumble in 97. Took place in San Antonio, Texas. Octagon mm-hmm. and Santo would continue to wrestle with uh, Santo. I believe his, I can't remember when his last match was, uh, but Octagon fucking wrestled April. He wrestled like two months ago. Oh yeah, that's wild. He's still moving around there. But I think he's in his sixties. If I want to, say, if I'm not badly fooled, maybe it's late fifties. But yeah, dude's still working. Those those, nuts. those luchadors, man, they don't quit until they cannot go anymore. Because Pedro Aguayo, the guy that's in the that's in the the main event here, is an older guy competing against Conan. At this mm-hmm. point, he is. WWE would later post clips and matches from this show, saying that it's the best pay per view you have never seen. Travis, mm-hmm. that's all I got for this one, man. So let's uh, wrap a bow on it. What did you What did you think of this? I think it's I think it's a great match. Like I said earlier, great storytelling. Just the story around it, uh, Eddie Guerrero and his, his dad and Santo's dad were a tag team that led to them being a tag team. Then they split, and then it's like Art Bar 
keeps him on the dark side. And then this, the other guys, you know, battling for the respect of Lucha Libre and um, just, just a good story, good match. And then just the overall pay-per-view is a great story of introducing this style of wrestling to the American audience and just WCW taking a chance on it too and producing it. uh, It speaks volumes for what Eric Bischoff and people believed in triple A. Cause you got to think triple A at this point is what, what, like three years old. You just said Triple Mania 3, so you got to think like it's not, not that old of a promotion for these guys to take take a chance on. Yeah, they, they start, Triple A started in 92, and this is you know, the end of 94, so it's about two and a half, three years. Um, mm-hmm. Really cool thing about it all tying it together is the way, the reason that they had the rift between uh, El Santo and Guerrero was because they were basically arguing that one that their dad was better than the other one's dad. And that's where the rift started. And that's why he, he turned heels. So I, I, I think it's a fun match. It's definitely a different one that we've not had on our, our podcast so far. Um, and I'm really glad that we, we pulled this one. It was good to see Art bar. I feel like people sleep on him, man. Uh, it's kind of like Bachwinkle in a different aspect completely, but Art bar had the tools to be the fucking man. Like he had the charisma he had the athletic ability. He had the moves. He had the he'd get heat. He he just he kind of was a, a whole package other than being a jacked up dude. But in 2023, the guy that had all that stuff could command a crowd like that. He he would be over. He's another example of he he's gone before he got started because he was on he's on. The bigger and better things, man. He's kind of like a Gino Hernandez in that point. Like they were on their way up, and then substance abuse or or whatever you derailed it. I mean, and and Gino's thing. Everybody, you know, people say it was a hit hit job, but like great heels that were on their way to bigger and better things, and their life tragically cut short. Um, it, it sucks because he could he could have commanded a ring in ECW probably like. Brian Pillman did later in 96. He could have, he could have been that type of heel. Dude. He he was only 28 years old. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. Dude was 28 years old and had that much potential and just gone in an instant. Um, It's a shame, Um, but I'm glad we know we can kind of almost honor his memory um, with the kind of worker that he was and got to see his work rate. It was fantastic. Um, highly suggest you guys seek this match out if you don't watch along with us on our Facebook. Uh, it's kind of become the go-to on Saturdays around 10 a.m. that I post uh, our watch-alongs with the actual match. So definitely check out uh, check that out on our Facebook uh, at Wrestling Recommendations. But Travis, it's our favorite time of the show when we get to crown the next match that we cover our wrestling recommendations. Mm -hmm. So we have an ongoing list guys. We say at the end of every episode, but if you're new to this, this is how it works. Essentially we have a list dating back right now, I believe to 77, 78 or 77 Mm -hmm. all the way to 2023 uh, matches that we believe are really awesome. Our wrestling recommendations. So what we do is we compile this list and we put into a randomized randomizer, the will of names, the will of destiny, uh, we shuffle it and we spin it, and whatever it lands on, that's the match we cover. Uh, this 
kind of spans pretty much every organization you can think of. I mean, we just did AAA, so WWF, WWE, WCW, NWA, AEW, NXT, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, there's some UWF on there. There's some, I believe, WWWF stuff on there as well. I could be wrong. That might be. It might Ring be WWF. Honor. I'm not Ring sure. Honor, it, it wins. Ring of Honor. Yes. So uh, it's it's a wide variety of matches right now, Travis. I believe we have 284 matches on there right now. Uh, there's a few more. I'm going to guess the 300. I know, I know Brandon um, recommended Chris Adam, Adams and uh, Roller Rollerball Rocco from the World of Sports, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, you know UK. So. Uh, Definitely new stuff to me, and I would love to add to the list. And Eric wanted to add another TNA match. It was an Ultimate X match between Joe uh, Daniels and AJ Styles, so i got to add that one as well. But What do you think we're going to get this week, Travis? Going early 2000s WWF. I am going to say early 90s WCW. Okay. We're gonna spin the wheel, guys. WCW this time. No, I said it. I said it intentionally so we would get it. It is spinning and it is stopping. Oh, come on, come on, come on! What we got? It's it's earlier. It's earlier. It's eighties. Eighty six. Oh God! Is it NWA? It is, is NWA, it? and it's from the Crockett Cup, baby. It is the Fantastics versus the Sheep Herders from April oh, 19, 1986. Yes. This match is a hidden yeah. gem. I remember you and I got to watch this. We're like, holy fuck, this match is amazing. Yep, and then Brandon has suggested it, and I was, we had already put it on the list, so we're like, we already got that one. You're, you don't have to worry yeah. about that. We got that one. So... This tremendous. Is, I remember, wasn't... Did, didn't they release it on... Um, they released onto the WWE Network because it is, was this, this isn't the tape that you had that was really hard to find, is it? Yes, '86 Crockett Cup is one of the hardest tapes to find ever. Don't talk. I've owned two. Save it for copies. the next episode. Save it. <laughs> save it for the next episode because it's a really good story. It's a fun story. Travis is drunk and stupor, and he'll tell you how much money he paid for those tapes. So don't want to talk about. It. <laughs> don't want to talk about. It. But remember, we this is before we got married. The, so. When they put it onto the WWE Network, and I watched it, I said, "What the fuck did I just watch? That match was amazing, and it's not a long match. I think the match is only like probably 10, 12 minutes, but yeah. it is one of the one of the best tag matches for that in that time. That like you know, like for a ten minute match, it's up there. It is great. We're all, we're we're hitting a lot of tag matches here lately too. Like in a in a little streak here, tag matches." I know we've, we've covered like NXT tag matches, uh, NWA tag matches, Ring of Honor, AAA tag matches. Like we, I mean, we we're hitting some. We've been tag heavy the last couple months. I'm really excited. I I love the. I I just I just love those teams. They're they're fantastic teams. And the and and the, the sheep herders are the bushwhackers. And this ain't you. This ain't you. Kids bushwhackers from '90. This is the sheep herders when they were badasses, and Bloody, the Fantastics were always great. Hardcore, crazy assholes, and Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. Holy shit! Fantastics are awesome. They they are very they're they're an underrated tag team. 
they're not talked about enough because I mean you got the fabulous ones and the fantastic. And a lot of times people get get them confused just because of their names, but like those are two unsung tag teams people don't talk about enough. But the Fantastics were amazing. I remember when I first saw them, I was like, man, these these Chippendale looking little dudes. And then I'm like, oh shit, they can go because Tommy Rogers is very deceptively like powerful for his frame and stuff. He's like a well, a Tyler Bate would be now. Like that's his stature and build is what Tyler Bate is in today's world. Yeah. Uh, I, I love I'm just kind of doing looking up a little a few things just online right now um with this. And um people, you know, the first thing I saw in here, it's TJRWrestling.net says some matches age like fine wine while others age like milk. That's one of the conundrums watching older wrestling matches. You never know which ones will hold up and which ones won't. This one does. So that gets mm. me pumped to go back and watch it. Like I said, I know it's a quick watch, but I'm excited to talk about the Fantastics and then talk about, you know, the Sheep Herders long before they're the Bushwhackers. And I know we just lost, I believe it was Butch. Yep. We, lost we just lost Butch. Butch. I think it was earlier this year or Last year, it was recently. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. Um, so I'm really excited. It's earlier this year around Mania because he was supposed to be at some signings and he missed them because of his health problem. And they're Hall of Famers. Uh, so I'm really excited. That's going to be a fun one to kind of look up and, and, and do some notes on and watch again. Uh, I do love me some tag team wrestling. Early 80s or mid 80s to early 90s tag wrestling. It, it's, it's pretty damn good. Um, but Travis, let's kind of polish this episode off, man. What you got for me? Uh, not much, man. Uh, just selling stuff over there on eBay at TGL Man 12. Uh, we got some stuff going up this week after we're having a big yard sale this week in Sevierville, Tennessee. If we have any local listeners, come on down to, I'm sure it'll be online somewhere. I won't give people's addresses on the podcast that, you know, we don't, we don't want people from the world just showing up at people's front door. We're having a big yard sale, and then we're going to get right back on the eBay stuff, working hard. Um, I watched a couple of matches today. I'm going to add to our list from uh, the the podcast I record tomorrow with the Wrestling Purist on uh, War of the Worlds 2014. There is a stupendous Kevin Steen versus Shinsuke Nakamura match. Um, It's one of Kevin Steen's last matches in ROH before he signs with NXT. And then there's also an Adam Cole versus Juice. Thunder Liger match for the ROH world title. Um, there, there's some hidden gems in ROH, man. I mean, you're not talking about, we're not talking about Forbidden Door. I mean, this is pretty much Forbidden Door before Forbidden Door, but um, it's got some good stuff. I think Tanahashi wrestles Mike Bennett. Um, it's, it's kind of a who's who of stuff going on there. This will be the first Ring of Honor pay per view I've covered with those guys because usually it's WCW or WWF or TNA. We were on the horrible TNA kick there for a while, <laughs> but we got off that train and uh, now we're on to some quality wrestling. But uh, I have a couple podcasts coming up with them. I think you have the podcast after mine for Great American Bash 95, I want to say. So well, um, we're definitely the, fir- the first match yeah. is the best match and everything else sucks after that. <laughs> We've already covered Great American Bash 95 on our old podcast. So right. it's like a refresher course for uh, Wrestling Ruin, if you want to hear us talk about that in detail, look that up. But uh, that, that's pretty much it for me, man. Just uh, plugging away at the eBay stuff and trying to find more matches for our podcast and squeezing all of life in between all that stuff. So that's about it for me at this point. Yeah, guys, like I was saying earlier, uh, typically on 
Fridays is when we we drop our episodes. Uh, Fridays at midnight. So pay you know listen to us on all podcast platforms. It helps us out. Um, the amount of listens we get goes back to helps us you know earn some money. So definitely check us out there. Um, on Saturdays at 10 a.m., we drop the watch along, so you'll be able to listen to us do the watch along uh, with the commentary for the match. Uh, that's at Wrestling Recommendations on Facebook. Definitely check us out on TikTok at Wrestling Recommendations, and follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Recom. NGW, we just announced our first Saturday show in years. Uh, we're going to be doing Wrestle Wars. We've already announced Matt Cross, uh, Logan Easton Laroe, and uh, Caleb Conley. Uh, coming back to Knoxville at Jackson Terminal in the Old City. So Saturday, July 8th, we'll be coming to you live in Knoxville. Travis will be there, uh, I believe, unless something's going on with him. Uh, mm. He'll have his merch tent, his, uh, fi- his figure uh, table set up. Uh, I'll be there, of course. Um, definitely check us out ne- at NextGenTN on all social media platforms and get tickets at NextGenTN.net. If you buy your tickets now, uh, they get you in a half hour earlier, so you get better seating. Um, tickets are selling pretty good, so I'm excited. Um, but yeah, and you know, wrestling purists, we'll I'll be on there doing Great American Bash '95 with those guys. So give them a listen. But uh, until next week, we get to have some Crockett Cup glory with uh, the Fantastics and the Sheep Herders. I'm really excited. I am Eddie, and this is Travis, and we'll talk to you then.